Hi, this is Randy Harrison, and you're listening to the Wayne Holtz Podcast. to be bold very early in life. I've been surrounded by strong, expressive characters the whole time, from friends and family to what I refer to as the step-parent that actually raised me, which is television. Today's guest was a part of an ensemble that taught me at an early age that it's fun to be bold and to be yourself. From television and film to doing dozens and dozens, I'm sure hundreds of plays, to hopping behind the camera to direct, our guest today definitely knows how to express himself. The world met him as Justin on the iconic Showtime series Queer as Folk, but today we are meeting him as him. I welcome Randy Harrison. Hello. Hi, Wayne. That might be the best intro I've ever gotten. I really liked it. Thank you. You're very welcome. It's an honor to have you here. And before we get started, tell us from where in the world are you calling and what are your surroundings right now? I am calling from Seattle. I have partially relocated to Seattle during the pandemic. So I am here in a cute little house in the suburbs of West Seattle at the moment. I love that. And are you working up there? I'm in school. I went back to school during the pandemic. Uh, no, I've, I've, when I've had to work, I've had to go back east. Uh, so I'll actually be heading back east next week to work again. I haven't worked out here yet, though I would love to. Now that theater and live performance is starting to pick up again, I will begin investigating this area of the country. <laughs> That's right. I saw that you are getting your degree in psychology. Am I correct? I am. I'm getting. I'm getting a, a second bachelor's in psychology to complement, you know, my bachelor's degree in in theater, <laughs> and then I'm gonna pursue a master's next next year. I love that. And so that's where we're at right now. Let's you know step back. Uh, you spent your first year um, once the show was filming in Canada. Can you tell us about that first year, like stepping away from theater and getting behind the camera and really just being immersed in creating the show Queer as Folk um, before it actually aired? Um, it was exciting and very overwhelming. It was very much the beginning of my professional career. I mean, I'd started working professionally in theater about the year beforehand, but uh, it was, you know, summer theaters and summer stock theaters and small regional theaters. And then suddenly it was the first time I was ever in front of a camera. It was not the first time I was in Canada, but it just suddenly felt like I was thrust into a whole new universe. Um, a nicer universe? Because everyone's just so sweet up there, right? Yes, I mean, I, I love Canada. I have such affection for that place and Toronto especially and the cast and crew. So yeah, and we were there, the first time we were there in the dead of summer, like when I remember it now, it was mostly in the winter because after the first season, we ended up shooting like September to April every year. But that first time, the very beginning of shooting the pilot, I think began in like June or July. So I remember like the big club scenes at Babylon then 
were shot in this warehouse and walking there and how hot it was. And um, I kind of just had no idea what the fuck was going on and was trying to have a good time and be the best actor I could be given these circumstances. It was like a trial by fire, like get on a bike and go down the hill and hopefully you'll figure out how to ride it. And thank God, I think I felt strongly that I knew who the character was based on the scripts and that gave me a kind of confidence and just being so close to the character being a gay man uh, I felt like I could bring some authority to the room so that helped uh, that helped me feel comfortable doing the work um, and then of course the cast and the crew were loving eccentric supportive people so because I feel like um, even though you were you know portraying a party on the show behind the scenes you know i i felt like there was a lot of camaraderie between all of you and so there actually was a good time even y'all were you know faking a glitter sesh at babylon or anything you know right yeah there was especially at the beginning i think i think we all were aware that we were taking i mean that the show was a it was a risky show to be a part of and we all were the kind of people who weren't going to like stick our, stick our toe in, but we just like jumped all the way in. It's like, if we're going to do something, we're going to fully commit. And we were all living out of the country. All of us, except for Taya, who played Lindsay, were American. So we were all displaced and had to be our own family because we didn't have community there. And that that sort of are all the things that, that cohe- cohered the cast in the way that it did. And, you know, you also all went through at the same time together when the show finally aired, you know, really just that that extra exposure to the world and it being so focused because it was such a prominent, you know, gay and lesbian show to that, you know, hadn't really been shown in America and especially on like a such a huge platform such as uh, Showtime. How was it going through that like surge of fame? I think for me, you know, there are people who took to, you know, photo shoots and opening nights and red carpets like, you know, they'd been dreaming of in their whole life. For me, it was always a very out of body, bizarre experience. It was I think it was harder for me looking back um, because I just thought it was so uh, uncomfortable making. and definitely the attention of the show, you know, being on billboards back in the day and magazine covers and stuff, I never, I never quite thought it was normal. Like, it's just so bizarre to me that it ever happened to me. And I think while it was happening, I was kind of just trying to not let it shut me down uh, in a way, because uh, I was trying to just be open and be like, I got to enjoy this experience because it's fucking bizarre and interesting and doesn't happen to many people. And I should really sort of take everything I can out of it um but yeah it was it was a lot briefly yeah oh my god I feel like we're getting so heavy I'm sorry no how no how was the um you know the audience per perception of the show like what did you um feel as it was coming out because I I know there were a lot of positives and uh, you know with anything there's going to be some negatives but how was the the reception of the show from what maybe you thought it was going to be to what it actually was and then maybe now as the years have gone on it's shifted a lot I think it's shifted a lot in like uh I mean when it first happened it was like gay people and I mean, I remember we would do like DVD signings. Remember DVDs? Oh my god! Well, I had it on VHS. Can I say that? Good for you! Oh my god! I don't even think I, 
but we would do like at Tower Records. Remember Tower Records? We would go to and sign DVDs. And I just remember, you know, like these crazy lines like out the door. And I just, I mean, it was astounding and it was really supportive. And it definitely began as like, I mean, mostly a gay audience at the very beginning, but I think even within like the first season as it went on, it shifted. And we were sort of surprised to discover how many um, straight women specifically like took to the show. And I think for the, a longer period of time, for a, a, a fair amount of time, I, I'd say the, the bulk of the fan base that I've encountered have been straight women. And then more recently, I'm discovering younger queer people, younger than me, I'm 44. So like people in their 20s who, you know, came to it when they were very young, like found it, you know, in their early, early teens, who are like this new emerging fan base for it, or at least the ones that I'm encountering. Um, And it's been great. I mean, I would say that last one is the most uh, important for me because I feel like when I made the show, what I was thinking of was myself when I was 11, 12, 13, 14, and was looking for representation. And it was really, really, really hard to find in the early 90s. So what I wanted to be doing when I made Queer as Folk was to be offering that kind of, you know, funhouse mirror, a mirror of sorts, even if it's a bit of a warped mirror for like younger people to have like a broader idea of, of, of being a part of a community, especially if they felt isolated and a broader conception of, of what kind of person that they could become as like a queer person in America. So knowing that that did do that to some extent and meeting people who, who, who saw the show that way and used the show that way makes me the most happy. I will say that um, I'm very happy that the you know reception from straight women and straight people was great because if if you haven't seen the show, I mean from the emotional uh, part of it to the humor to just even the way it was shot, it's such a beautiful show and really you know goes beyond the genre I think. But yes, um, you know it was a show for you know me and people like me. It was the first gay media queer media i ever consumed um and i remember uh specifically like i would go to blockbuster with my mom and you know switch out the tapes uh like say oh uh, yeah pretend i'm renting (laughs) you know zoolander or some bullshit and you know it's you know episode five with god knows who's eating whose ass and so (laughs) you know it was it was really great and it did show so much of that that uh friendship and you know finding you know the family outside of your family if you were in that position to to do so so i definitely um just want to thank you for being there and putting yourself on you know the the skewer Uh, (laughs) and how was it being a part of showtime in that era because that's when showtime was popping you know things were were really uh hitting the screens hard and i feel like that w- they were in you know great competition with hbo like how was it being a part of like such a huge network at that time i think it was a great time to be a part of showtime especially um to be queer as folk like because that i mean that show kind of was one of the things that like popped showtime i i feel like at that time mm. so we were important to the network then so they liked us you know so you get like a lot of perks and you can negotiate and it just felt like we were the star of the network at that time um which is an amazing feeling uh and yeah it was 
different. I mean, I think, was The Sopranos out yet? I'm trying to remember, like, Oz. I mean, Showtime had sort of a, I mean, sorry, HBO had a different kind of, like, a higher brow thing, and it felt like this, and Showtime, I mean, I'm t- saying terrible things, but I remember growing up, my brother called Showtime Ho-Time, because it was, like, where right. you would go for, like, um, real sex. You know, and- like, the soft, yeah, for, like, the soft core stuff, which obviously we did not shy away from representing that as well but it felt like um showtime was trying to like legitimize itself and be a real contender with hbo at the time whereas now i think you know there's just so many different kinds of networks that there's not the same kind of competition but at the time like those were like the two um and it felt and then you know it was during our five years that like they really started producing all this really great stuff and it felt um it felt really really special to be a part of the network that was like just blowing up and growing at that that rate during that time i love that and what was it like you know going out i mean you're a hot guy on a hot show you're you know living part of the time in new york um was it you know did you have your guard up when it comes to like dating like were there the perks of just you know having cute guys coming up to you just because they were familiar and and was it difficult you know thinking about like oh do they only want to talk to me because of the show you know that old chestnut oh yeah um yeah my guards were up like uh, massive i did not go out during that period, really. I did not, I didn't really, I I mean, if I went to a gay bar, it was for, it was to promote the show. It was like a personal, like appearance type situation that was part of the promotional process of the show because it was, it was work. And during that time, it felt like work to be at a gay bar because work was a fake gay bar. So like to go to like (laughs) a big bar again, like I would never have chosen to do that. And it really, Um, so I never, I didn't, I mean, I, I met, uh, I was with, I was partnered at the time with somebody I met totally separately. And beyond that, I really felt like, um, I felt like being a part of that show sort of prevented me from being able to engage with a gay community, ironically. And it wasn't until my thirties and well after the show was over that I, felt like I found sort of a queer community and started to go to parties and events and feel like I could be myself and meet people, you know, on my level in a normal way and started to feel like engaged with a queer community. But during the show, it was like, it was just, it was work. And I, and I was not there for like fun or social or community reasons, unfortunately. Listen, you had your head down and I like that. I read somewhere that you weren't a fan of hats and then, you were like, bitch, I'm going to start wearing a hat around town. Like, this might be necessary. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, reading about uh, your intro and you're speaking about, like, bold characters and bold people. And I feel like I've always sort of been able to be bold, like, on stage and in my work. But as, like, a person in the day-to-day life, I'm, like, extremely introverted and shy. So I, definitely during that period... I like to just like sneak around unnoticed normally. Uh, not when I'm on stage or in front of the camera, but like on my day-to-day life in the subway, I don't like people like calling me out and talking to me. So <laughs> so I was definitely like hiding for, uh, you know, a solid decade of my life to some extent. 
Heidi. It's odd because I was so out of the closet and out and proud in other ways, but this had more to do with, I don't know, um, anonymity. It's nice to have those moments of anonymity. I have, you know, my own little world of notability. It's like the, the little, the little tiny Wayne's world, not to be compared, but um, it is nice to have those those moments of you know being able to kind of disappear. Um, and because you were you were one of the youngest out actors on a major show like back in that time, so you were you definitely were already putting yourself out there in so many ways. So it's good to like track it back a little bit, you know. And yeah. we are talking with Randy Harrison. Um, we are going to come back and talk more about the show, his life beyond that, and a whole lot more. So stick around on the Wayne Holtz Podcast. You never know who'll show up to the Wayne Holtz Podcast. Really happy to be here on your podcast. Thank you. Rock goddess Nina Diaz. You know, first of all, it begins with having the passion. Having the passion for the music. TV host, author. And a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, don't forget that. Of course, Ross. And Celebrity Big Brother contestant, Ross Matthews. When you reached out to me and asked if I'd be on your podcast, it was a no-brainer. I love people who create and contribute, and that is you. It is so nice to talk to you. Cool conversations with people we want to know more about. Hey guys, this is Chris Booker, and you're listening to the Wayne Holtz Podcast. This is J.D. Sampson, and you're listening to the Wayne Holtz Podcast. This is Perez Hilton, and you are listening to the Wayne Holtz Podcast. Listen to the Wayne Holtz Podcast free now on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and at thewayneholtz.com. Welcome back to the Wayne Holtz Podcast. I am talking with Randy Harrison. Randy, has anyone ever told you that you look like Matt Damon? Yes, they have. Especially at the beginning of my career. Especially like when Queer was coming out. People were like, oh, you should play Matt Damon's little brother. It's insane. I, I used to literally think Matt Damon was on Queer as Folk for years. You know, or for you know, a hot second. I was like, well, that is cute. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm living for him in this role. I mean, if they if they they're doing the reboot now, I heard so maybe he can he can hop on that. How, what are your thoughts on on shows being rebooted and your show specifically being rebooted? And do you care? Do you not? Do you love it? Um, I don't have a strong opinion about it, but I I definitely think as far as queer being rebooted, I'm always in a fan of there being more like queer content on television and more gay characters. So the more the merrier. I'm like happy it's going to come out. I'm happy. It's going to come out for a new and different audience and, you know, hopefully be more expansive and inclusive uh, than the original. And, but I don't honestly know that much about it. It's like a completely different um, entity than, than our queerest folk was. Mm, understood. It's, it's like Gossip Girl, y'all. Um, and the cast got together a couple years ago that I know during the um pandemic y'all did a lot of charitable work and and virtual uh reunions but how was it you know i i know y'all are still in touch but how was it getting together as a group you know for people magazine and really you know celebrating the the 20 years and and living back on those times you know but together it's great i mean i think with distance it, uh, our appreciation for the effects of the show and our good fortune in being part of something that has had such staying power for so many people and for very different ways. Um, we've just grown more grateful for it. It's funny. I mean, when we all get together now, 
It is very much for me, especially, I think, probably because I was the baby of the show when we did it. I was, I don't know, like, it felt like a significant age difference, but it really wasn't. I was like maybe eight years younger than everybody else, five to eight years younger than everybody else. But when we all get together, it kind of, you know, when you go like back home and stay with your, the family you grew up with, you kind of turn back into a teenager because you're like treated like a child again and you suddenly start acting like it again. Um, it kind of feels like that whenever we're all together, I feel like the baby again and want to like resist it because I'm not a baby. You know, it's just very funny. We fall into these tracks that we used to do 20 years ago. And it's a big group. So there, there's a lot of dynamics going on there. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. There's like seven of us. Seven of us, eight of us. Yeah. And it's how, a big group. Who is the most different, You would, do you think, from their character? And who's the most oh, similar? Let's ask both. I mean, I think we're all very different from our characters, actually. Um, I, God. I mean, I would say the most obviously different as far as just um, behavior and presentation would be Peter because, um, and Emmett, they're very different. Um, Yeah, but we're all really different. It's hard to... It's very funny. I haven't like watched the show very often. I mean, ever, but especially not recently. But um, I know them all so well, so much better as people now mm-hmm. uh, that I kind of forget about the roles they played. And then when I recently watched like a scene for an occasion for whatever reason, I'm like, oh my god, that's so different from Scott, or like that's so different from how Taya is. It's kind of shocking how different how different we all are from the characters. I believe that. And did you keep anything from that time, a memento or anything special from that era? I didn't keep anything very specifically special. I remember near the end of wrapping. I mean, I I took some clothes that I liked. I took some shoes. I The one thing I still have is like these pair of snow boots that we had for the Toronto winters that I actually still wear. That's like the one thing that's lasted 15, 17, however many years it's been since we stopped shooting. Um, But then throughout the years, immediately like closer to where the end of the series was, there's been like a lot of auctioning things off for charity. So every time there is something like that, I go deep into my closet and try to find anything left off Queer as Folk that somebody can auction (laughs) off to make some money. What What else do we got? What else do we got? Yeah, but I don't think I have anything left. Sharon's the good one. Like, Sharon has a lot. She's always can pull something up. Like, she has all those shirts that Debbie wore. Oh, my God. I think God. she's auctioned a lot of them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, I'm going to have to hit Sharon next. I love that. Mm-hmm. And after the show, before the show, as we spoke of, you have such a love of theater, and you've been in so many plays. What is the difference in, in excitement for you between acting in front of the camera and then in front of an audience? I mean, the biggest difference is the audience. It's really hard. Um, on camera, you really have to trust the director. I mean, you always have to trust the director, but it's hard to feel um, how your work, you can't really feel how your work is coming across because it, it's not really finished yet until it's put like edited and put together and put in front of an audience. So um, it's it's 
to me, it, it leaves me more insecure to be on camera. You just kind of put it out there and you're like, I hope that's good enough. Director, tell me like if you want any adjustments, if you want this to be different, do you want me to do the scene this way or that way? When you're in front of an audience, um, especially if you're doing a show repeatedly, um, like a long run of a show, you can shape the performance with the audience. You can, sorry, can you hear my cat meowing outside the door? I love it. Wait, She's what? Tra- what's her name? Latrice. Oh, okay, Latrice. Latrice. Um, she's named after Latrice Royale. Um, Naturally. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, it feels like a very collaborative process on stage uh, between the performer or the cast and the audience, and you're able to adjust the performance in real time, you know, based on the audience. You, some audiences, you go out there and you feel like they need a certain thing and you're able to shape, shape the experience for them. Um, to me, that's the biggest difference, and that's the reason... I go back, I mean, why I love theater so much as I feel like the audience, being in front of an audience, just being on stage and performing teaches you how to perform if you're attuned to it. Hmm, I love that. I'm going to keep all that in mind on my next stint on the stage. And I can't wait to find myself in your audience um, whenever you are back in your next project. I want everyone to make sure... You're in San Antonio, right? I am in San Antonio, yes. I've toured through San Antonio. I played San Antonio. Oh, how was it for you here? It was great. It's great. There's a that theater is beautiful. I can't remember it. Um, has to be the the majestic. Yeah, it has like a sort of a blue sky and like a yes. castle-y kind of thing. It's a beautiful theater, not too big, and I think the audiences were really good in San Antonio. I had a good time. I love that. Well, hopefully we can get you back here or I will definitely make a trip to New York. Um, and everyone, if you want to make sure you're keeping up to date with Randy's net future projects and whatever he's got going on, please make sure you're following on Instagram at Randy Harrison Graham. Randy, it has been such an honor to have you here, sir. And I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. Everyone, make sure you're listening to the Wayne Holtz podcast on all the platforms, but most importantly, subscribing and giving five-star reviews on iTunes, because that's just the tea that matters, girl. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up, so we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. This episode was produced and engineered by Dominic K. Trevino. When it comes to looks and smarts, I'll give you five out of five kisses. Every time I hear you mock, I wish that I can be your missus. Let me rise to the occasion, I'll photo you at the radio station. In my headphones, your voice will be playing, and I won't be limited to just one minute with Mark. You won't quit talking once you start to shrug, I can't stop the beating my heart when I'm waiting on that moment for your lips to part when I'm waiting on that minute just a minute mark all the others crave your silence if you talk to me I won't say be quiet I don't mind any time you can sound